Before Simon comes to preach to us, the reading comes from Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross, because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living salty, sorry, swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. From, from Engedi to Eglame, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish, will be, the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Colleen, and uh, good evening, everyone. If you have a Bible, please do keep it open at that passage in Ezekiel 47. And uh, I'm going to be dotting around a little this evening. I'm not going to go on too long. I'm very conscious that some of you want to catch the second half of the football. And uh, it's very warm in here. Incidentally, we might like to open that back door over there now that we're not singing so we won't annoy the neighbors, get a bit of airflow. There is water available at the back. And please don't sit there getting s sticky and suffering. If you need to get up and go for a walk, please do that. I might do it myself because it's hot up here. And uh, tonight we come to the end of our series that we've been following for about seven weeks on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're transitioning into a new series uh, it, throughout August on the Psalms. We'll be looking at them summer nights on Wednesday evening, 7.30 uh, in the parish centre and uh, also here on Sundays. But let's pray and then we'll tuck in. 
Lord, thank you that you are a loving and giving God. And we pray, Lord, that we might receive and understand and experience more of your love and your giving and your life in our life. Amen. Well, the classic of English philosophy, Wind in the Willows, begins like this. So this is a river, asked Mole. The river, corrected Rat. And you really live by the river? What a jolly life. By it and with it and on it and in it, said the Rat. It's brother and sister to me and aunts and company and food and drink and washing. It's my world and I don't want any other. What it hasn't got is not worth having, and what it doesn't know is not worth knowing. Boy, the times we've had together. The psalmist in Psalm 46, verse 4, says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The translation that's usually make glad is actually much stronger in the Hebrew. Literally gives great joy to the city of God, to the people of God. And I want us to think this evening about the river of God, the river of the Spirit that flows out from God towards us and that we're called to enter into and enjoy and be transformed by. And so firstly, God invites us to be a river people. The Bible early on begins with a river. It tells us that there was a river flowing in Eden that broke into four. And the Bible at the end of Revelation ends with a river in paradise. And God wants our life to be framed by his river. In our reading that Colleen just brought, we glimpse an extraordinary river of God that flows from God, from his presence, from his city, from his temple, and that moves out and down, all the way down to the Dead Sea. And as it goes, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And as it goes, it transforms everything it comes near. It brings life. And finally, it goes to the Dead Sea, which some of you will know is dead. It's just full and saturated with salt. And it transforms that, as it were, into a living lake that's just teeming with life. The river of God transforms things. It brings life. It brings economy and productivity and industry. But what is this river? And most rightly interpret it figuratively or symbolically. Elsewhere, the psalmist says, speaks about the river of God's delights. All of God's good things stored up are somehow symbolized by this river. All of God's goodness. 
And when the Bible talks about God's river, it's talking about that flow that comes out from him that is given to us that we can take and partake of and enter into that transforms us and we can enjoy his delights. It's a river of the Spirit. It's a river that comes through responding to the gospel. It's the river of the mission of God. One of my favorite descriptions is that it is a river of royal graces. Bit religious, bit archaic perhaps, but the river of God's kingly benefits, of his kingly gifts, of his kingly blessings. American novelist Mark Helpin wrote this, a good river is nature's life work in song. What a lovely picture. That it's the work of nature in song that sings over us. And the river of God, God's life work for us, his self-giving to us, whereby he sings over us and he causes us to sing. Now, in that reading that we had, you might like to turn to it, Ezekiel 47, we're told that the prophet is encouraged to get in and measure the river. And he goes in, and first he goes up to his ankles, and then he goes further, and he goes up to his knees, and then he goes up to his waist, and then he goes in over his head. There's a sense that we're called to be overwhelmed. We're to be immersed in the blessing of God, in the goodness of God, in the transformation that flows from God. It's a river. It's not a puddle to paddle in. It's a river to be overwhelmed and to swim in. And I wondered this evening whether some of you here for many years perhaps in your Christian life, but maybe there are some of you who aren't even Christians, your life has almost been like a paddle in a puddle and maybe a dirty one at that, just splashing around. And yet God invites you to come into the river of his delights and to be transformed and to be cleansed, and to be satisfied, and to be vivified, and to be renewed, and to come alive, and to be who you're meant to be. Do not paddle in the murky puddle that this world offers, when all the while there is a river flowing from God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Last Battle, but he often repeats it, depicts the saints as it were coming to a great waterfall, coming to God's goodness. And as this great waterfall thunders and the river flows from it, a voice encourages them to go further up and further in. And maybe some of you, if you're not paddling in a puddle, you're just stood on the sidelines watching and getting splashed and getting a bit of the spray, like you can do at Niagara Falls, on the edge. You're getting sprayed, but you're not getting soaked. And God is saying, come further up and further in. Further up and further in into his goodness and his grace 
and his blessing and his favor. And it comes by the gospel. It comes as a gift of Jesus and it comes by the Spirit. That's the first thing. We're called to be a river people, living in, on, and within. Secondly, Jesus is the giver of the river. He's the giver of the river. Where are we going to find it? We find it in him. You might like to turn, if you've got a Bible, to John 7. I just want to highlight something here. Jesus goes up on one of the very uh, important Jewish festivals. He goes up to Jerusalem on the Feast of Booths. He goes up to the temple. And there, on each successive day of seven days of the week, a priest would go down with the crowds down to the pool of Siloam. And in a golden um, flask or flagon, he would fill it with water from this pool I've been there. Then he would go back across and up to the temple. And there he would go, and people would be singing, and the crowds would be cheering, and there'd be trumpets blowing. And he'd go to the altar where there was a bowl nearby. And he would pour the water into this bowl, and the water would run down and go to the base of the altar. Just a kind of ritual that took place Every year, seven days, it would happen. And it symbolized two things. It symbolized thanksgiving to God for providing water. And it was a kind of prayer also that God would provide the water for life in that hot, parched, uh, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean land. But the rabbis at the time and in the Talmud said that it was also prophetic that one day God's king would come amongst them and he would bring to them the Holy Spirit. So it was a day of thanksgiving, a day of prayer as the water is poured out, but a day of hope and anticipation. One day, God's going to send his Messiah, his anointed one, his king, and he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will mean we'll never thirst again. And there we read in John 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, as the water is poured out and the crowds are watching and they're praying and they're anticipating and they're hoping and they're thanking, Jesus stands up amidst the crowd and all eyes turns to him, turn to him and he commandeers this event. They're looking at this and then he says, look at me. And he says this in verse 38. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture says, streams of living water will flow out of them. And he was speaking of the Spirit, it says, whom those who believed were later to receive. Anyone thirsty, let him come to me, and I'll give them the Holy Spirit and out of them will flow streams of living water. And Jesus is the giver of the river. Jesus is the, the fountainhead. He's the source of that river. I remember when I was a teenager on a holiday tracing the river Dart 
from the, the, you know, where it opens up at Dartmouth all the way to its source in the little marsh on Dartmoor where the river begins. The river of God that brings transformation that throughout the Old Testament is pictured and figured and anticipated and promised, Jesus says is going to come through me. And at the end of John's Gospel, we, we read about this Jesus who is crucified. That beautiful life laid down freely of his own volition for us and for the sins of the world. And there in the mystery and the economy of God, as he dies, he reaches out to us and he reaches out to the Father, God for man and man for God, and he reconciles us to each other, God and humankind in himself, in his body, by his death at the cross. And then a Roman soldier takes a spear and pierces that beautiful body. And we're told out of his side flowed water and blood. Of course, medics know that that may be a sign that he's already dead and the blood is separated. But a river of water and blood flows from his side. Two rivers, as it were. The river of blood that cleanses us from our sin when we look to him. And the water that speaks of the spirit that flows from his cross that flows from his side and that will transform us and that will satisfy us and that will renew us and give us life and purpose. And You know, it says in Ezekiel that the river flowed from the side of the altar and Christ is that altar and he is that sacrifice and out of him flows that river. A bit mystical, but I want you to understand that that river that satisfies, that river that cleanses, that river that renews, that river that gives life, that river rather than paddling in a puddle is to be found in Jesus. And when we look to him and when we come to him, he is the one who gives us of that spirit and we never thirst again. And he meets all those longings that we have. What a precious wound that is. Jesus is the giver of the river of life. And then thirdly, the devil loves a desert. I love a dessert. But the devil, sorry, that was ridiculous. It must be hot. The devil loves a desert. And the enemy of our souls wants people to live in wilderness. He wants them to live in barrenness, in a context where there's no life, no productivity, where things just wither, where we wither. God creates a paradise, and the demonic comes along to create a desert. And he wants Christians to live the Christian life, as it were, in an estuary rather than a river. They were just stuck in the mud. I was preaching in Germany some time ago and I wanted to highlight that verse that I quoted at the beginning from Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams make the city of God 
leap for joy. There is a river. And I was going to, I'm preaching on that. So I had my interpreter and I said, you know, we're preparing and I'm preparing to go up. I said, I'm going to preach on Psalm 46. I'm going to preach on this verse 4. And there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And he said, okay. And uh, he's looking at it and he came back to me all panicky. He said, there is no river. I said, no, there, there is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. He said, there isn't a river. I said, there is a river. He said, there's not a river. I said, what do you mean there's not a river? He said, I've got Luther's German translation here. The, the prominent translation in the Protestant church there. He said, I've got Luther's, and there's no river. There's just a well. I said, no, it's more than wells. There's a river. I said, well, can you come up with something else? Because I'm preaching on, there is a river. And I was really struck by this. I couldn't believe it. I thought, what's going on in their Bible? They haven't got a river. Anyway, when I, they just had little springs in that one. I got back to Oxford, and, you know, we're in, we're in a smart place with smart people. So I went and consulted the world expert, one of, on Luther, called Professor Lyndall Roper. And she's an amazing woman, amazing scholar, written an amazing biography of Luther. And uh, I asked her about this. I said, there's no river. Where's the river? Isn't there a river in Luther's Psalms? And she went and... Uh, did some research and I went and had a coffee with her, met up, and she said that in Psalm 46, in 1524, Luther had a river, the Strom, I think. My German's not good. But he had the Strom. He had this flow, this tide, this current, this river. But then in, by 1534, he changed the translation and he'd got rid of the river. There was no river. Martin Luther's favorite psalm was Psalm 46. Ein fester Burg ist unser Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. And he had spent so much of his, of his time and his passion investing in this, the fortress theology of God, that he lost the river. And some would say that as a result, or maybe that's indicative Later on, his theology became, and his personality indeed, became somewhat brittle. And uh, it's because he lost the river. And we can lose the river in our life. We can, we can, as it were, turn it off. We can step away. We can move away. We can lose the river of God. And I wonder if some here, you've been Christians for a while, but now you doing it in your own strength, rather than being caught up and carried by the current of the river. It's just you. Or maybe you're just stuck in the mud, in that estuary. In the classic French film, Jean de Florette, is it Manon de Sors? No, Jean de Florette. There's a city slicker who inherits a farm. And when he arrives, he seeks to make a go of this farm and in France, he's, he works day and night to, to get it up and running. And he expends all his energy, expends all his efforts. He, expe he spends all his money and his savings on getting this farm going as a, a viable um, place of work and, and uh, economy and so on. He brings in the latest farming techniques puts in these, far, these huge deep fences, starts breeding rabbits. And 
in order to um, feed the rabbits, he grows these crops. But then there's a drought, and the artesian well dries up. He's got no water, and, you know, the, the cabbages and the lettuces wither, and the rabbits begin to die. And so you follow the film, and each morning at dawn, with his donkey covered in, you know, with milk pails and with pots and pans and bottles, he goes up over the mountain, down to another valley, and there there's a river, and he brings back water in these bottles and these utensils, brings them back and pours it in the well, but it's never enough. And the bitter, scorching, arid weather just soaks it all up. It's not enough. And the crops die. And then all the rabbits die. And finally, he resorts to magic. You've got to find some answer or else it's, he's done. And he goes water divine and he goes to the occult and he thinks he's found a river and he gets some explosives where he thinks he's found it, puts it in there. He does a bit of dynamite, lets it go. And in this film, a rock goes up and then it comes down, whack, and he dies. <laughs> and that's nearly the end of the film. It's not the best of movies, to be honest. But as he's dying on his deathbed, he says... I failed to see that the water was the one problem. We need the water. We need the river in our lives spiritually. And the great tragedy in this film that you find in the next one called Manon des Sources is that there was a river all along. And there was a great river that ran underneath his farm, but that wicked men had blocked it up near the source so, and diverted it so that he wouldn't get any benefit of it so that his farm would fail and they could buy it cheap. And the enemy's always trying to block up the river in our life. He's always trying to stop the flow. He's always trying to make us do our Christian life and do life in our own strength. He's always trying to rub, rob us of what is ours. Block up the river. There is a river that flows from the altar of God, that brings life. That's what Ezekiel says repeatedly, life, 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 wherever it goes. But without it, we wither, and the enemy wants us to wither. And we need to find that river in Jesus. We need to get back to that river, receive more of his spirit, ask him to fill us and flood us and renew us and cleanse us. Just go back to the source. Go back to the cross. Go back to Jesus and say, give me that river or I die. And then lastly, don't get stuck in the mud. It's the same point. I'm just making it in different ways. Many years ago, I was on holiday in Normandy and uh, in a heat wave, and it actually melted my camera. But uh, I was praying one morning, and uh, 
I sense the Lord say, I'm going to tell you something today. I thought, oh, you know, normally God normatively speaks to me and to everyone else through his word, the Bible. But I sensed that God was going to give me some sort of a, a revelation. I'm not very good at that sort of thing and not very good at listening and seeing, but I thought, okay. And I wrote it in my journal. Jur- journal. I wrote it in my journal that I think God's going to speak to me today. He says he's going to show me something. Anyway, I went off into the day, and we went to Mont Saint-Michel and my, with the boys. We had, a, we had a great time. But there was nothing that was really kind of, I thought, the Lord speaking to me significantly. It was just beautiful. You know, I was on holiday with the family. Anyway, we got back late afternoon, and uh, I, went, uh, I went and lay down and uh, to, to just reflect on the day and think, did I miss you somewhere, Lord? Were you trying to tell me something? And uh, my wife, Tiffany, and my boys, they were younger then, they went to the end of um, the garden where, it, where they had uh, a pond, and they had these giant carp in it, koi carp, absolutely brilliant, majestic things. And uh, they went to feed them. Anyway, I'm, I'm just sort of there thinking and praying and falling asleep, and my wife, Tiffany, shouts out, Simon, <coughs> she didn't cough, Simon, come quick, there's a fish in trouble. I thought, what? Come, there's a fish in trouble. Fish, mish, what? Anyway, I got up off the bed, came downstairs, and we ru- I ran out into the garden and ran down to the bottom. And uh, what had happened was the water level um, uh, the, the whole water table, I guess, in the drought just dropped. And suddenly and significantly, the water level had dropped. And there in the mud was this amazing koi carp, silver and black and orange and, you know, huge, probably about 25 pounds, probably about 20 years old. It was absolutely brilliant. But it was stuck there. And um, it had obviously followed something up there, a bit of a morsel to eat, or maybe it was used to going up to that bit at the cool of the day. But the water had dropped, and it had got stuck in the mud, and the mud was over its gills, and it was suffocating. And quick as a flash, I, I said, I'm not, not normally this quick or cool, but I said, Tiffany, go and get a dustbin lid and a watering can full of water. And I jumped down into the, into, into the mud, and Tiffany runs back with this, the boys get it, and we're just watering this fish, and I scooped it up out of the mud, and I put it on the, the, uh, the uh, dustbin lid and carried it all the while. Tiffany's watering, we're trying to get rid of the silt and the muck out of the fishes, and we get it, and I just go into the deep end and lower the thing down, and it's sort of on its side. I thought, uh-oh, you know, it's dead. And then it writes itself, you know, little flash of its tail. I don't know if it did it like that, but I did it like that. And suddenly, you know, off it went. My boys are on there. Dad's a legend. My wife, you're so gorgeous. And I just thought, I know I'm really cool. Anyway, I then get up out of the pond, and immediately I, I heard the Lord speak to me. Done often, but he did. And he said, the church is just like this car old and distinguished and mature and there's beauty but it's just swum into the mud and it's no longer in the river of God and it's just stuck and it's suffocating and in trouble 
and a little bit of water in can at a conference or a bit of renewal in, or a bit of a retreat. It's not going to cut the mustard. It's got to be put back in the deep. And I think that's true for our church, so many churches, my denomination. I think it's true of so many of us. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you just feel, as it were, literally dry on the outside and the inside. And somewhere along the line, you just got stuck in the mud. You kind of missed it. The river went elsewhere. And God is just encouraging you and inviting you this summer to come back to the river, to come back to Jesus. Come back to receive more of the Spirit and to be transformed. On successive evenings on that holiday, we'd go down to the pond and every evening, several nights running, we found dead, giant koi calf. They'd got there, they'd done the same thing in the cool of the day, trying to go to this bit, maybe there were more trees there, but there was no water and they got stuck and they want the fat vicar to get them out and they died. And I knew it wasn't mine because they had a very different color patination. So many, I think, in the church can get like that. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you're at at the moment. And the encouragement that's been all along through this series on the Spirit has been to come to the river where there is life. It says in Ezekiel, it's just full of fat fish. It doesn't say fat fish, but the implication is they're healthy. It's full of fish. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And God calls us to be a river people. And Jesus is the giver of the river. And that river is the presence and power and person of the Holy Spirit that fills us and floods us and surrounds us and transforms us and employs us and renews us and gives us life and makes us useful. Amen.